Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com forward slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Yokohama tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is the best of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. I want to bring in uh, Eddie Garcia now. He is a uh, huge Pittsburgh Steeler fan. And I got to say this, all right? NFL officiating, they are going to have to, I believe, in this offseason, go back to the drawing board and figure out a way to handle the fact that NFL officiating is just atrocious. Um, There are far too many judgment calls in what is a relatively even league that end up deciding the outcome of the game. Uh, To me, the game, the most important thing that determines the outcome of a game probably is third down passing, right? Does your quarterback convert on third down? Can he throw a uh, first down conversion pass on third down. That effectively decides the NFL in almost every game. If you really break down, like what is the most important uh, important ingredient in every NFL game, you tell me how a quarterback does on third down passing, I'll almost guarantee you who wins the game. That's That's across the board. The NFL is in many ways just a contest between quarterbacks who is better on third down passing. The second most important thing when it comes down to a close game, officiating. What calls were made? When were they made? Because the impact of a defensive holding that automatically gives a first down is seismic. The impact of a pass interference call that is a borderline yes or no call because of the spot of the foul aspect of that penalty is seismic. When you decide to call a holding penalty, How many times this weekend watching NFL games did you see a big play made and then, boom, there's a holding call 
that may not have had anything at all to do with the actual play. I see holding calls made all the time where the penalty flag is thrown and it's for a backside defensive end that could have never made a play on the ball at all. I think that NFL officiating is at a crisis point in terms of its overall impact to the outcome of games. And even the way that Steeler game ended, first of all, you had an official on the goal line with the perfect view, and he blew the touchdown call. He initially said, no, 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 he stopped inside the one-yard line, which was what potentially decided the game there. We also had what I think was an awful call on pass interference made in the end zone on Joe Hayden against Alvin Kamara that shouldn't have been thrown. I think you should be able, this has been my argument for a while, I don't know why more people haven't gotten on this bandwagon. I think you should be able to challenge judgment calls like you can challenge any other call in the game. If you think that an official has clearly gotten it wrong, a lot of times everybody has officials in the booth now and they immediately can say, ah, you know what, that wasn't the right call. We also know that officials get scrutinized and reviewed all the time because when the NFL reviews this tape of every game, they'll say, you know what, we messed that one up. We shouldn't have made that call. So there is clear knowledge as to whether or not the right call was made And I think we're in an era where we need to be able to question that. By the way, I also think down the stretch in that Steelers-Saints game, they blew that pass interference call that allowed the Saints to convert on fourth and two. That ball was tipped. That ball was tipped at the line of scrimmage. The NFL's obligation is to review anything like that inside of two minutes because once the ball gets tipped, then you are able to to uh, to make it a tackle on the wide receiver, right? So why in the world was that not reviewed? Eddie Garcia, I'm not a Steelers fan. I'm not a Saints fan. I was objectively watching that game. If anything, I was rooting pretty hard for the Saints because I wanted the Colts-Titans game to be a game that determines who gets into the playoffs. So I wanted the, Saint, the, the Steelers to lose that game. You're a Steelers fan. You have to be furious at the way that game was officiated. Yes, and I'm, 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 I guess happy to hear what you said uh, as someone who didn't have any skin in the game technically. Uh, and as you said, you even kind of wanted the Steelers to lose. But yeah, it's hard watching it from from a fan perspective. And I, I, the couple of calls against Joe Hayden, I thought were just so difficult. I, I mean, he was really frustrated after the game, and you can understand why. Uh, it, it's just so hard to play defensive back in the NFL. Uh, and then he also thought that Michael Thomas had pushed off on him on that touchdown yeah. that you were talking about as well. And they just never call that. I'm not saying yeah. he's not right, but they never call it. I think you talk about the officiating. I don't disagree with what your point is. I feel like the NFL wants these calls. I feel like the league is telling these guys, if there's any contact, we want you to throw the flag because we want more first downs. We want more offense. I think they're doing what the league wants. That, that may be true, but the difference between their calls is 100% arbitrary. And in a game that is so evenly fought, I, I find it to be incredibly frustrating as both a gambler, you know, somebody who's gambling on these games, and also as someone who's just sitting watching 
when it's not my team at all, right? Like, it's one thing if you're your sure team. I think everybody tends to be biased in believing that the officials are aligned against them if uh, if you are watching the game uh, and it's your team. You're, you're not as objective as you would be when you're watching it, you know, completely without uh, without any bias at all. And, uh, and I just, I mean, I thought the Steelers got screwed in that game. I mean, I really did. And I don't think it was intentional. It's not like I'm saying, oh, I think the fix was in. Oh, they wanted the Steelers to lose. I think if anything, the league would probably prefer the Pittsburgh Steelers make the playoffs over the Baltimore Ravens, right? If they had to choose, I think that Roethlisberger and the Steelers are a much bigger brand. Uh, every television network would, if they had to choose between having a playoff game featuring the Steelers or the Ravens, would make that pick. Um, but I think it's just inconsistent and bad officiating. And well, I, don't, I think I, it gets magnified when the games are close, right? And there are so many games in the NFL that on a week-to-week basis are really close that you can change a couple of plays and everything is different. And when they're calling defensive pass interference or defensive holding, uh, when they are calling, yeah, pass interference on the defense in general, when they are calling holding, I feel like it's a play that you can call literally any play. And so it's it's not a there's not a consistent uh, you know use of the uh, of of officiating. To me, there should only be a call made when it is a seismic and material advantage that one team gains over the other one. If you're running the ball on the right side uh, and, and somebody holds on the backside, you have to be intelligent enough as an official to be like, okay, that backside defensive end was not going to be able to get there. If it's a borderline call, then I shouldn't make it. And I feel like it's just, I mean, I, I just get a sick feeling in my stomach every time, you know, you see a play and then you see that flag graphic come up on the screen and you're like, okay, what's the impact going to be here? I would just say as far as your idea of reviewing the judgment calls, having coaches challenges for that, I have no problem with that at all. And I don't sense any appetite as far as football fans of saying these NFL games are too long. We can't have that uh, because, you know, these games are long enough as it is. I don't think anyone complains about the length of NFL games. Uh, so that wouldn't be, um, I don't think that much of a detriment to, you know, the flow of the game and that kind of thing. I would agree with being able to do that yeah, as well. I, I don't, under, for a lot of people, are like, well, you can't challenge judgment calls. And I'm like, every single play that an official officiates is a judgment call. Was his knee down or not before the ball came out is a judgment call. Was he in the end zone when he caught it with two feet is a judgment call. Like, those are all things that you can look at. And I feel like when you have the rule written, you can be like, okay, yeah, that was pass interference or no, that was not pass interference. Um, you know, to me, those those are things that all should be reviewed. Like, that, that's just a, a, a no-brainer. Now... I do think you hit the point of, well, are you going to extend the games too long? Which is why I would say you can't immediately review every judgment call. But I think a coach should have the ability to challenge. Maybe you can challenge one judgment call a half. And if you get that right, you know, you can get potentially another uh, another challenge flag. And, uh, and then it would require coaches to have, you know, a big decision on whether or not you want to challenge as well, right? Okay, well... That's just a difference of five yards. Do we really want to challenge it? Or, hey, we gained 30 yards on that play and we think the holding call was incorrect. Oh, I'm going to challenge that one because the risk-reward is good. Um, I, I, I like that a lot. I think the NFL should seriously look into giving coaching challenges for judgment calls that, that, that are clearly an error that you and I sit on our couch watch and say, yeah, that's not what the rule was designed to do. Danny G, do you feel like the Steelers got screwed? 
I hated that call on Hayden. I tweeted it out right as it happened because when they replayed that, <laughs> the uh, reaction from the broadcast team was priceless. But all of us watching felt the same way. Whether you were rooting for the Steelers or not, you knew right there that that was some funny business. And then I saw the same exact bad P.I. call in last night's Sunday night game. You probably noticed that Chiefs uh, P.I. call in the end zone against the Chiefs. The receiver was spinning out, barely touched his back, flag. And so you're right. There's some times where the receiver is getting mauled, and there's other times where it's just a hand barely grazing the receiver's back, and it's an automatic flag. There needs to be way better consistency when it comes to these pass interference calls. Yeah, and I've said for a while, remember we had this debate last year, I, I do think the NFL, and I understand the argument on the contrary that, oh, the NFL defensive backs are better and they would tackle sometimes when they get beat and everything else. I tend to think college gets it right when you have a 15-yard pass interference penalty. Um, you know, I, I think that it limits when the official makes a bad call, the difference between having like a 40 or a 50 yard penalty and a 15 yard penalty is pretty seismic. Um, and so I think that helps to limit the overall impact of bad officiating calls, but I still feel like it should be something where you can challenge. Like in that game, Mike Tomlin should have been able to throw a flag and say, Hey, that wasn't pass interference on Joe Hayden. The ball was overthrown. He's got one hand on him trying to defend. It's not like he got him in the lower back and issued a hard shove. I do think that he impacted the uh, the whether or not the ball could be caught, but I don't think that's a I don't think that's a pass interference. I think if you're going to call that, you would have to call it on virtually every throw that's made at any point. Um, and so uh, I, I think the impact is just so substantial on pass interference calls in particular, and the onus is put on the officials who have a difficult job and are trying to do it in real time, that it may look more substantial to them than it actually is. Um, and sometimes you just get things wrong. Look, nobody is perfect in their job. Um, and everybody makes mistakes and makes errors. And so for the original rationale of why we have instant replay review to begin with, uh, imagine, by the way, if we didn't have instant replay review now with HD televisions and the number of cameras that we have on the field Imagine uh, how crazy it would be if you were like, well, sometimes officials make errors. We just have to deal with it. It's a part of the game. That was the argument people used to make before officiating could be reviewed. There were a lot of people out there who were opposed to NFL officials being uh, having their calls reviewed, and the argument was, well, officials are not perfect. Sometimes they make errors. It's just a part of the game. Well, why not eliminate parts of the game that are clearly wrong when you have a contest that is as even as many NFL contests are. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weeknights at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. The biggest outcome yesterday, I would say. Saints going up against the Steelers down in the Dome in New Orleans, and it came down to a final drive. The Pittsburgh Steelers moving down the field, Pass is complete to Juju Smith-Schuster. This is what it sounded like next on the New Orleans Saints radio network. Roethlisberger takes the snap, drops back, three-man rush, throws over the middle. That ball is caught across the 40 to 40. Ball is out! Ball is out! The ball is out! The Saints have recovered it! The ball is out! Uh, That is how it sounded. The ball was indeed out, and as a result, the Saints have home field advantage throughout the rest of the playoffs. Now, there are a lot of moments in that game that I thought were significant. 
including what an unbelievable play it was, the fake punt where the guy gets stopped a yard and a half short of the first down and then celebrates. Did you guys see the celebration? He did the like the mic drop of the football, and then he did a big elongated first down sign, uh, and uh, that was amazing. Like I don't know how he had such poor awareness. He wasn't aware of the fact that he had not gotten the first down. Maybe he got confused and thought that the uh, the, the line of scrimmage marker – as opposed to the first down marker. Maybe that's why he's on special teams. Uh, he looked like an idiot, um, but he did. Like It was a pretty amazing play where he dropped the uh, dropped the ball like it was a mic drop, um, and then he did a, a big-time first down sign. The only thing that could have been better is if he'd gotten flagged for unsportsmanlike uh, celebration foul there. Uh, we got a bunch of people who want to react, but I want to ask you, uh, Eddie Garcia, you're a Steelers fan. Did you like the, the, the fake punt call, or did you think it cost the Steelers the game? I, I didn't mind it. Um, I know a lot of people will second-guess that. I understand it. Maybe if the ball were on the other side of the 50, maybe that would have been a little bit better call. But I'm all, I'm pretty much always in favor of, of my coach and my team going for an aggressive play to try and win the game. Um, so I, think, my, I thought the fumbles were, were a big, bigger factor in why they lost in that call. No doubt. But here's my bigger question. You have a Hall of Fame quarterback, notwithstanding Cam Jordan's argument otherwise that Ben Roethlisberger is 100 billion percent a Hall of Fame quarterback. What was it, like fourth and four or fourth and five? Wouldn't you rather have Ben Roethlisberger with the ball in his hand than have whoever that guy was that didn't get the first down trying to sneak it? I, I, I understand, like the, and this is my same criticism with Kirby Smart when he decided to go for it with, uh, with Justin Fields who obviously now is going to transfer, um, and that was in a tie game in the SEC championship game. If you have a really good quarterback, and Georgia had Jake Fromm, and Pittsburgh Steelers have Ben Roethlisberger, Roethlisberger already converted or did convert later in the game a fourth and 15 throwing to Antonio Brown, who the who the uh, Saints could not cover, right? You have... Maybe the best receiver in the NFL right now in Antonio Brown. The Saints could not cover him all day. They were throwing two guys at him. They were doing everything. Wouldn't you rather take your chances with Ben Roethlisberger throwing the ball to Antonio Brown on fourth and five than trying to sneak it with a guy nobody knows? I mean, that's my only concern when it comes to fake punts. And I understand, well, we're trying to get him by by surprise there. The Saints weren't surprised. That play had no chance. I mean, they, they had that game that play snuffed out from the get-go. So, I just, if you're going to go for it on fourth down, I'd prefer you not try to sneak it away, not try to surprise somebody. Put your Hall of Fame quarterback under center and let him throw to your Hall of Fame wide receiver, Antonio Brown, who right now is the best wide receiver, I think, in the NFL. Saints couldn't cover him all day. So, what makes you think they're going to cover him on fourth and five? They couldn't cover him on fourth and 15 later in the game. Uh, and I understand, look, well, they're doubling him. you got to go to the other guy. That's how Juju Smith-Schuster makes a play. That's the direction that I would go just there personally. By the way, poll question is up. Um, and we got a lot of people who want to react to the NFL games. going to go to your calls here momentarily. Uh, I believe the NFL MVP race now down to uh, Drew Brees or Patrick Mahomes. Who have you got? Uh, tw- 1,300 of you have voted in the first, uh, whatever it is, five minutes here. And Drew Brees is getting 54% of the vote. Patrick Mahomes getting 46% of the vote. And Ben in Maryland wants to weigh in on that. What's up, Ben? 
Hey, Clay, I just wanted to say uh, I'm a huge fan of Patrick Mahomes. I love what he's been doing, and he's obviously exciting to watch. But when I think of the most valuable player, it's not the guy that's putting up the crazy numbers. It's who would who would impact the team most if you removed him from that lineup. And I think Drew Brees, and nobody's talking about the great season Russell Wilson is having either. And these two guys never complain. They never point fingers. They're always talking about how they can improve. I think that's more valuable uh, at this time than Patrick Mahomes. I, I would vote for Drew Brees, I think. And the reason, and I look, I understand how good Patrick Mahomes has been and some of the throws that he's made have been a revelation. But when you look at Patrick Mahomes down the stretch of the season against the biggest and best teams, lose to Seattle, narrowly manage to get a win over the Ravens, lose to the Chargers, lose to the Rams, every time he has played a good team, the Kansas City Chiefs have lost. Now, you can say, well, they're losing because of the defense, not because of Patrick Mahomes. Okay, I, I understand that argument. I, I think certainly there is some validity to that argument that the Chiefs' defense is what is letting them down late. The amount of points that they gave up, they gave up 38 to the Seahawks. They gave up um, 54 in the loss to the Rams. They gave up 29 late points, obviously, to the Chargers. They gave up... 33 to the Raiders down the stretch. But that's what makes me a little bit nervous, right? I mean, look, the 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 Chiefs this season have four losses. Those four losses have been to probably the four best teams the Chiefs have played all year. Chiefs lost to the Patriots. Good game, but they lost. Gave up 43 points, lost 43 to 40. Okay, pretty solid effort. It's hard to fault Patrick Mahomes there. Uh, the Chiefs lost to the Rams, gave up 54 points, scored 51 themselves. All right, hard to fault Mahomes. Lost, I think you can fault Mahomes a little bit in that Chargers loss because he had the ball late with a chance to kind of ice that game and they couldn't move the football. And then they lose to the Seahawks. I think when you lose to the four best teams that you've played all year, probably, it's hard for me to argue that you deserve the NFL MVP over somebody else who has now locked up home field advantage and whose team is the best in the NFL this year. Steven Nashville, what's up? Hey, Clay, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm just calling in. I kind of want to piggyback, I guess, off of your your last caller as far as his definition. If you remove a guy off the team, uh, you know, that, that shows you his value. And I'm talking about the rookies here, and I'm arguing that it's a lot easier for Saquon to come out as a halfback, not that he's not phenomenal, than it was for Baker Mayfield to be drafted into that dysfunction in Cleveland yep. and look at the numbers he's putting up. I just think it's it's case closed. Baker Mayfield's your rookie of the year. Am I crazy? I, no, I agree with you. I don't think you're crazy in the least bit. I think that Baker Mayfield absolutely, positively, beyond a shadow of a doubt, has to be the rookie of the year. I just do. I mean, look, not to mention Saquon Barkley has gotten shut down the last two weeks. He's had a very good year. I love Saquon Barkley. Loved watching him at Penn State. I liked the addition of Saquon Barkley. I know what he has done uh, for the Giants. But you got a running back on a 5-10 and 10 football team who's been shut down the last two weeks. Meanwhile, Baker Mayfield is 7-7-1. Seven, seven and one. And look, I think it'll be a no-brainer if Baker Mayfield goes on the road and they beat the Ravens to knock the Ravens out of the playoffs in the final week of the season for a second straight week. Second straight year, sorry. Remember last year, the Bengals came back 
and made the play that they did. Uh, I think it was Andy Dalton to A.J. Green to knock the Ravens out of the playoffs and put the Buffalo Bills in. If Baker Mayfield goes on the road and they're five-point underdog in that game and plays well against that defense, which is probably, I think, I really do. I think the, the Ravens have the best defense in the NFL. And the Ravens have had the best defense in the NFL, it feels like, for 20 consecutive years. If he goes out and he performs like I think he has been performing so far, I don't. I think it's a no-brainer. I think Baker Mayfield is your uh, is your rookie of the year. Let's go to Ben in Ohio. Who also wants to weigh in on Baker Mayfield. What you got for me? Hi. Um, also, I was wondering what you thought about his um, stare down with Hugh yeah. Jackson and Greg Williams. Do you think he should be the um, Browns coach next year? Yeah. I, look, I mean, Greg Williams is five and two as the interim. He's been a head coach before. I, it seems to me like the team really enjoys playing for him. And it seems like they have really rallied around him. I think if they go on the road and beat the Ravens and he finishes the season six and two and they miss the playoffs by a half game or whatever the heck it would end up being, I think it's hard pressed not to keep Greg Williams as the coach of the Baltimore Ravens. I really do. Uh, Freddie Kitchens, as offensive coordinator, seems to have a great rapport with Baker Mayfield. Everything seems to be working really well there. I'd be I'd be tempted if I were the Haslams, if I was the owner of that team. Not to mess with success. Look, you had a dude who went 336-1. and one, And I think it's clear that Baker Mayfield is a mercurial, um, passion, passionate, angry player. And that he wants to be surrounded by people that he really likes. Now, if Lincoln Riley is willing to come, okay, that's different. But if you're talking about old NFL retreads or sticking with the guy who has gotten you to 5-2 and two and maybe 6-2... and two, I think you can do a lot worse than Greg Williams and keeping Freddie Kitchens as the uh, offensive coordinator for Baker Mayfield. I don't think that quarterback gets to make a decision there, but I think it's worth sitting down with him and saying, hey, what's the difference between what you had with Hugh Jackson and what you have now? What is working so well for this team and this franchise right now that was not working earlier in the season? And I didn't have a problem with the stare down either. I think Baker Mayfield is a jerk. (laughs) And look, some people think I'm a jerk. uh, But I also think Baker Mayfield says exactly what he thinks. And he doesn't hide from what he feels on a day-to-day basis. And I would rather a guy be honest and upfront. And I know exactly what he's like on a day-to-day basis than somebody be fake. And so if Baker Mayfield really didn't like Hugh Jackson and felt like he treated him unfairly, When you're delivering a second straight ass kicking, I don't have a problem with it. And by the way, I don't think it's just Baker Mayfield. I don't think the Cleveland Browns liked Hugh Jackson at all. And I think they take their lead from their quarterback. But when you had the interception happen the last time they played the Bengals and the ball got immediately handed to uh, Hugh Jackson on the sideline, that's as disrespectful of a play as I've ever seen on a football field. You pick off the ball and then hand it to your former head coach on the sideline, that is dunking on somebody, balls to the face, and then landing on them, Scottie Pippen on Patrick Ewing style. It's impossible to bounce back from that if you're Hugh Jackson. I would never touch hiring Hugh Jackson again after seeing the way this team has played without him. I just wouldn't. Uh, Let's talk, uh, let's see. I think we have Baker Mayfield uh, audio talking about the stare down from yesterday's game. Let's see what he had to say. 60-something yard pass to, to David that sealed it. 
the TV camera showed you kind of looking at the Bengals sideline and backpedaling. Was that directed at you or what was going on? Uh, no idea what you're talking about. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of trending on social media. You were staring down. That's all right. We won. David didn't score on that play. I even love that answer, which is just such a douchebag jerk response, but is also fantastic. I have no idea what you're talking about. You stared at him for 30 seconds jogging down the field. Oh, really? I, I, don't, I don't recall the play. Oh, just, I love everything about that. I even loved watching the, the video. Baker Mayfield, like, stares doing the slow jog. Um, and then he turns, and then he stares back the opposite direction, which I, I got to be honest with you, I lost it. When I was watching that clip, when he's jogging backwards, and then he turns, and you're like, okay, he's done. And then he's like, no, no, I need to stare some more. And then he turns back the opposite direction and keeps jogging. I mean, that was that's high-quality stuff. That is incredible, really funny drama, I think. And Baker Mayfield seems to have a pretty good sense of humor, by the way. The guy posed shirtless with a tiger beside a Ferrari before the season. If you're willing to do that, you obviously are a ridiculous human being, and I can't help but root for you. Plus, let's be honest, Baker Mayfield is the ultimate chip-on-his-shoulder guy. He did something that's never happened before. He was a college walk-on who became a Heisman Trophy winner and the number one overall draft pick in the NFL. You don't go from college football walk-on to Heisman Trophy winner to number one overall NFL draft pick, which has never happened before in the history of football without an unbelievable helping of self-confidence. This guy believed in himself when no one else in the entire country would believe in him at quarterback. And so when he sees guys who don't believe in him, I think he's not the guy, you know, sometimes you have the coddled athlete. LeBron is the perfect example of the coddled athlete, right? Everything, LeBron James is identified at 13 or 14 years old as a supremely talented athlete, maybe even earlier than that. And from that point forward, everybody coddled him because they knew what LeBron was going to become, right? And credit to LeBron for becoming what he became. But everybody knew how good LeBron James was since he was like 12 or 13. And as a result, when you're coddled, you expect everybody to bend over backwards and give you everything. Baker Mayfield's the exact opposite of that. Nobody had any expectations for Baker Mayfield, even when he was of age. Even when he was 18 years old, nobody would even give him a scholarship. Said he was too short. Said he wasn't, didn't have a big enough arm. Wasn't athletic enough. All those things. And he feeds off of that fuel of disrespect and I think he believes that Hugh Jackson was another uh, in a long line of those doubters. I think he probably knows that Hugh Jackson didn't want him to be the overall number one pick and wouldn't have taken him number one overall. And if you're going into that situation and you don't get started, and look, Hugh Jackson kept the Browns out of the playoffs. If they had fired Hugh Jackson at the end of last season and brought in Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens, I think the Cleveland Browns would be in the playoffs right now. The reason they're not in the playoffs is because of Hugh Jackson's coaching early in the season because he kept Baker Mayfield on the bench. This is a dude who saw Baker Mayfield playing and said, you know what, Tyrod Taylor's better. This is a guy who thought Nick Chubb didn't deserve to start. And you get those guys out in the field, and guess what? They're really damn good. Imagine how much better they would be if they both, especially Baker Mayfield, gotten more reps. Remember, he didn't play the first several games. 
rookie quarterback, it's all about reps. How much better would Baker Mayfield be playing even than he is right now? Dude's got 24 touchdown passes. He may break Peyton Manning's rookie season record for touchdown passes. Got to be your, uh, I believe, got to be your rookie of the year. And I think Drew Brees has to be your MVP. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. We have got one hell of a playoff race coming down the stretch here. And in particular, we had a heck of an ending uh, in New Orleans. The Saints have locked up the overall number one seed, and it came thanks to this play at the end of the game. This is the New Orleans Saints radio network giving us the call. Roethlisberger takes the snap, drops back, three-man rush, throws over the middle. That ball is caught across the 40 to 40. Ball is out! Ball is out! The ball is out! The Saints have recovered it! The ball is out! That was the uh, final play there of uh, basically the final play. They took a knee uh, a couple of times after that, but the New Orleans Saints get the win over the Pittsburgh Steelers, knocking the Pittsburgh Steelers out of the playoffs. How do the Steelers get back in? Well, they need Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns to go on the road and upset Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. If you missed it yesterday, Baker Mayfield was feeling dangerous through three touchdown passes. The Cleveland Browns now 7-7-1, seven, 5-2 seven, and one, five and two since they fired Hugh Jackson. And as he jogged down the field, as he put the finishing touches on their win, Baker Mayfield had a nice little stare down for Hugh Jackson. He was asked about it after the game. And Baker Mayfield, uh, man, this answer really is pretty funny. Baker Mayfield asked about staring down Hugh Jackson as he jogged, jogged down the sideline, had this to say. 60-something yard pass to, to David that sealed it. The TV camera showed you kind of looking at the Bengals' sideline and backpedaling. Was that directed at Hugh or what was going on? Uh, no idea what you're talking about. Seriously? Yeah. It's, it's kind of trending on social media. You were staring down. That's all right. We won. David didn't score on that play. Baker Mayfield, ultimate douchebag response there. I got to admit, I love this guy. He's great for the drama. He's been fantastic on the field. 24 touchdown passes now. Wouldn't surprise me at all if the Browns went on the road and got the win. That's where the Pittsburgh Steelers are. They need the uh, Cleveland Browns to go on the road, get the win against the Ravens in order to actually put them into the playoffs. In the meantime, Huge Sunday night football game coming up. Playoff game, effectively, will start on Sunday night. Titans playing against the Colts. The winner is into the playoffs, potentially the winner, advancing and also winning the division if the uh, if the Houston Texans were to lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars in that game, which will be taking place earlier in the day. Uh, the, uh, uh, the Seahawks go a long way towards uh, going ahead and getting their uh, ticket punched into the playoffs. And uh, we have, uh, as we roll through the NFL playoff picture here, there is uh, a lot of uncertainty, but also a certain amount of certainty. Uh, The Saints, as we said, now the number one overall seed throughout the playoffs. The road to the Super Bowl definitely will run through New Orleans as long as the Saints are still alive. The Rams can lock up the number two seed if they are capable of beating the San Francisco 49ers final week of the season. The Bears may or may not have much to play for, uh, depending on what happens in that Rams game, but they're playing at the same time. Uh, and the Minnesota Vikings are sitting at 8-6-1, and one, need a win 
to get into the playoffs. The Seahawks have clinched a spot. Now the only question is whether they will be the five seed or the six seed. Dallas Cowboys win the NFC East. Everybody wanted Jason Garrett fired in the wake of their loss to the Tennessee Titans that dropped the Cowboys to three and four. Dallas Cowboys finished six and two uh, on that uh, that run. They have a game that doesn't matter against uh, the Giants coming up to finish off the season. Uh, and the Philadelphia Eagles and Nick Foles, you want to talk about an interesting uh, dilemma and dynamic. What in the world do the Eagles do about Nick Foles going forward? He comes in, only throws for 400-some-odd yards, uh, beats the Houston Texans. Texans now, by the way, one and two in their last three, coming back down to earth, some severe injuries as well. Uh, a lot of reason to be nervous if you are a Houston Texan fan, I think, as the playoffs get closer. So your NFC playoff picture effectively has boiled down to if the Vikings win, they are in. If they lose and the Eagles win, then the Eagles would be in. That is where we are in the uh, in the playoff race. On the other side of uh, the equation, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs had a chance to lock up number one overall seed in the AFC. Instead, they lost to the Seahawks. They now have to win the final game of the season against the Raiders. The New England Patriots advance into the two seed. Uh, the Houston Texans now at the three seed. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens right now are your AFC North winners, but they must win uh, or get a steal or loss against uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Probably is not going to happen in order to uh, to win the AFC North. So basically they have to win. Uh, the the Chargers got to be kicking themselves. Doug Gottlieb was at this game. Going to talk to him uh, shortly. He was wearing a beanie. It was 60 degrees. You would think it was 24 degrees based on the way uh, he was wearing the beanie there. And like I said, we have got a playoff play-in game. Uh, effectively, the playoffs start on Sunday night when the Colts travel to uh, Nashville to take on the Titans. I will be there. Doug Gottlieb is with us now. Are you still wearing the beanie? Well, how how is the LA work here, LA weather here on Christmas Eve? Is it dipped down below sixty again? It's uh, forty seven degrees right oh now. Oh my actually. god! Uh, I, mean, I can't yeah, believe anybody yeah, in LA are, is even alive. I thought you guys all no, turned into popsicles. Yeah, people are around the parkas. Now, here, here's what happened, Clay. So, I coached my son in two basketball games, and we didn't have time to run home. And we're on the way up there, and my wife's like, "You guys are going to freeze." And I was like, "All right, we'll just buy a sweatshirt." So we go into you know like. I don't, I'm sure you've never been to StubHub for a football game. I have not. In addition, in addition to it being a soccer stadium, it's, it's not like a Chargers stadium. So they have, you know, like a team store. So we pop in, and uh, there were there weren't any good kids sweatshirts. So I bought him like an adult. I bought basically bought a sweatshirt for myself, and then tell my son to throw it on. So you know, and he's he's nine, so he's little, obviously. Yeah. And then I I have a Charger hat, so we both. You said it was a toboggan? That's not a toboggan. That's what we call it. No, no, no. We got into this big discussion with my wife. Like, everybody has different idioms, you know, different uh, parts of speech. In the South, a uh, a, like a knit cap that you wear on your head is called a toboggan. We call it it a beanie. Yeah, and my wife says a toboggan is a sled, and she's from the Midwest, that she's come after me for years for saying that. But my entire life, uh, any knit cap that you would wear when it's cold is called a toboggan. Um, By the way, Chargers totally choked that game away, didn't they? No, they got they got their ass kicked. I yeah, mean, but I mean, Ravens, they the Ravens' defense is really good, and they were still going to probably win the game if yeah, if Antonio Gates doesn't fumble the football. Yes, that's what I mean. Be- like they because, had the ball. Because, I felt like in spite yes, of, in spite of whatever the narrative is, like look, Lamar Jackson made like two good throws. He's not a he's not a very good quarterback in terms of throwing the football. 
and they figured out the offense by the second half. And uh, but no, I mean that Ravens defense. That's a good. It's the Chargers best defense offense. in the NFL. It was nasty. I mean, they just, you know, I mean, Phil Burris has a guy at his feet the entire game. That's one of the reasons that some of his throws were off. So, um, you know, they choked away an opportunity would probably be a, that particular game. Antonio Gates fumble, uh, obviously, is a choke. But collectively, they, they gave away an opportunity to get a home field advantage throughout the playoffs. That's what they could have had, which is crazy considering they're the Chargers. Yeah, no, it's it's a brutal loss for the Chargers. All right, so we, we talked about this some last hour. I know you're driving in. You heard it. Uh, the LeBron James thing. So first of all, LeBron James saying that uh, that NFL owners have a slave master mentality is an utterly ridiculous thing to say. And for the most part, he's going to get a pass on that, right? Like uh, yes. Now, partly it's because he said it on Friday going into whatever it was, going into a weekend of NFL where it kind of gets snowed under. But that's an utterly ridiculous thing to say that should, should be condemned by anybody with a functional brain. Correct. I think you said on that shop show, which, yes. of course, remember, he invented barbershop talk. Yeah. No yeah, one's ever right. done that before. And so, you know, you can't believe that anybody else would but copy that, something. That's, that- that's what's so troubling about this to me is they watched. It's not like he said it off the cuff, right? Like on an interview where he gets a question and, like, he's just kind right. of stumbling around. And, look, you and I right. talk for a living. At some point in time, we've all said stuff that's stupid on the air because you talk for three hours every day. And everybody out there who does a, any, like, a, it's sitting down for Christmas dinner, people are going to say stupid stuff because sometimes people just say stupid stuff. But that was taped. They went back and they watched all the edited footage and they're like, no, no, no. We want to make sure. We think this was such a good comment by LeBron. We want to make sure that this goes on our show. That to me is even more of an indictment of what he said. It also just shows he has he doesn't have nearly the business acumen that people think he has, right? I mean, yes, he made a ton of money on Beats by Dre, but that's not because he designed Beats by Dre or that's because he understood the marketing of the Beats headphones, right? He was just a name. If somebody said, hey, do you want to throw in some money on this thing? And he said, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Dr. Dre, Sure cool i'm in right so somehow that becomes a business action that he invested in a company um i i, I just i just i think it it makes him look like a clown it just does and for a guy who you know people people who people will say well he's so bright he's so he has such great wherewithal all right so either uh, either he doesn't understand and he's not nearly as bright as people think either he doesn't understand the ramifications uh, and definitions of the things that he's saying, or uh, or he's purposely putting things out there in an effort to uh, either one like divide us, or or two kind of uh, you know put himself in kind of like a um, a liberal left leaning position, which is not going to hurt help his business. Like I I just don't understand this this idea that well you know, slave mentality. I was I, I just do do we understand the difference between being an employee? And being a slave, most and this this is I think is important. I think a lot of pro athletes have never actually been employees, and so they don't even understand the concept of like labor and employment. Like right now, listening to us in all fifty states, there are people on Christmas Eve busting their asses in their cars on their way to work, and if yeah. they show up late on Christmas Eve, the day before Christmas, and do a crappy job. 
they can get fired if they don't do what their boss says. Everybody understands that who has ever had a job. I don't think a lot of pro athletes understand that distinction. I, 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 I really I, well, don't. Well, well, well there's, it's, it's not just that. It's, this, it's the idea that like, if we're taking the, well, the, the root of it, obviously, is the flag thing. And the irony to it is the NBA has the exact same rule. The exact yes. same rule. Secondly, the NBA, not the NFL, was the one that instituted a, a dress code. They didn't do it because they're racist. They did it because it was hurting their product. Because enough people from the suburbs were like, dude, go to the NBA game. Feels like I'm going to a hip-hop concert. And I just, you know, there enough white people who have money would drive in from the suburbs and be like, I'm just not that comfortable. That, that was the feeling that their research told them. That's all this is with the NFL. With the NFL, they're sitting there going like, hey, look, we're popular in cities. We're popular in the suburbs. We're popular in the country. We're the most popular. How do we maintain that popularity? You know what we shouldn't do? We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have a political demonstration during the playing of the national anthem. That's what their research tells them. And 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 that's that's a business decision that they make. It's, it's Which the same LeBron, that, if he is a businessman, if that's what he fashions himself to be, and I think right. that's what you said, that's good. Either he's intentionally uh, like being inflammatory in a stupid way by saying things like, uh, you know, which, the NFL which, owners which, are which slave I, masters, which I think, which I think is what it is. To be right, honest. or he's so dumb he actually believes what he's saying. I'm not sure which is worse. Yeah, I I, I just. I, I think that LeBron feels like, hey, you know, I've been able to say and do what I want. And look, you're around enough people that laugh at every single joke and agree with everything. You surround yourself with sycophants, and this is what happens. So um, I just, you know, the, the more you, honestly, the more I watch, the more I listen, or the IG post about, you know, with, with uh, you know, a uh, rap song about you know, making that yeah, I want to read that for people who are waking up and haven't seen this. LeBron I, I, apologized I just, last night. You're yeah. Jewish. I want to read what he said, and then I want to get your reaction to that. Uh, LeBron on his Instagram stories posted the lyrics along of a rap song, and the lyrics that he posted were, we've been getting that Jewish money. Everything is kosher. You are Jewish. Uh, when you saw that, what was your reaction? I just thought it was dumb. I yeah. just think it's, you know, it'd be considered, again, I, I kind of echo what Jeff Schwartz said. Like, look, Jewish people being rich is not a bad stereotype. It's not necessarily accurate for me personally, but, or for my upbringing, you know, but. There are poor that, people who are Jewish, many of them, right? Like, this, this yeah, idea I mean, that like, every look, Jewish person well, well, is no, rich. No, I mean, if you, if you, I mean, you want to trace Jewish culture, you know, blame the Jew is a playbook that's older than what the Ravens are running, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and now he's not. The lyrics aren't blaming the Jews. It's but, but look, there's a there's an anti-Semitic tone to it that you just what are you like? It's just like what are you, what are you doing? If if you are really the most popular and influential athlete of all time, if you really consider yourself, then you just have to have better wherewithal. You just have to be smarter, you know. And look, we've all had dumb posts before, but imagine if I and it's not a bad stereotype. But imagine if I posted a uh, some you know talking about how anything about how well you know the black athlete is just the greatest athlete ever, which is not a negative stereotype. People can take it as a negative stereotype because some people believe 
Now, that means they can't be great in other facets of life. I do not. But I would be crushed. You know, any sort of stereotype about people, positive or negative, <laughs> gets slaughtered in the world of 2018 to 2019 on social media. And, like, LeBron James doesn't have the uh, emotional intelligence to understand how people are going to be affected by it. You know, oh, yeah, by the way, Adam Silver, who he says he's the greatest commissioner ever, who's really just kind of a puppet, um, he's actually is Jewish, you know? Uh, so I'm not... I'm not bothered by it. I just, I do think that we get really, really loose. It's like, it's, honestly, Jeff Schwartz kind of nailed it. Like, for some reason, you can say whatever you want about Jewish people, and as long as you don't mention the Holocaust, we're not supposed to be, effect, we're not supposed to be offended. And we're supposed to laugh it off and go like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. You know, we're, we're cool. Uh, I don't know. I just, I just I, think it, it is an interesting the, question. The more, I, the more I hear him talk, the less I really care about what he is talking. I'm just like, look, he's a really good basketball player. He's smarter than you think, but he's not as smart as he's not as smart as as people want to position him to being. And I don't think he has offered anything creative at all in all of his different uh, avenues in which he's used the media. Yeah, and here's the question too: Has LeBron, uh, to me, and I think the answer is no. Has he ever said anything really intelligent outside of basketball-related things? And and look, to me, no. <laughs> and this weekend. The, the combination of the slave master thing, which, by the way, is so absurd on many levels, but one of the most ridiculous is LeBron wants to be an owner. So he, he basically wants to be a slave owner himself based on now you can say, oh, he would treat his players differently. Right. I bet he wouldn't because the CBA exists and everything else. Like all players are kind of treated the same. Um, and then the other thing about this that's, that's to me so utterly like insanely ridiculous is he says that on Friday – and then on Saturday, he goes out and he and he's talking about Jewish people on his Instagram. Like, what a knucklehead! I mean, what just an well, imbecile? I, I mean, I just look. Look, we're gonna have we're gonna have to like, you know, again, this is this is like what, what Jewish people say. Like, you know, don't say somebody is Hitler like. Okay, you like okay, the guy killed ten million people, killed six million Jews. Like, let's not say somebody's Hitler like yeah. unless they're trying to unless they're trying to erase a race or a religion from from the land. The same should be said with the idea of a slave mentality. Correct. You know, and I mean, the perfect example of that is Michael Jordan's an owner, you know, and though Michael Jordan is, 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 has now become very involved as an owner, like, look, he draws a hard and fast line in terms of, uh, in terms of how he, much he pays guys. I mean, guys still have to come to work. Guys still have to abide by league policies or whatever. Like, there's just, there's a difference there when you're a business owner and you're a businessman and you're trying uh, and you're working together. And, oh, yeah, by the way, like NFL owners collectively are laughing at the NBA. It's a joke what, what the NBA has become where Anthony Davis plays for the New Orleans Pelicans. And all anybody can talk about is, you know, Anthony Davis could be going here, could be going there. Think about this for a second. Like, you're New Orleans. You struggle to hold on to a team to begin with. Now you have a player who's under contract, not just this year. He's under contract next year, and yet it's suddenly become okay to talk about where he needs to go because all of those owners in mid-sized and smaller markets are pissed, pissed, pissed because it's ruining their product, their ability to make money after shelling out hundreds of millions of dollars to own that said company. So that league has problems, and one of the problems is that we continue to hear NBA players talk about owners for other sports 
and not realize that their own owners are livid about all the talking that they're doing. Yeah, because there's only like six teams that people want to play for in about six different cities, and everybody else is in a smaller market, and they're screwed. Uh, Doug Gottlieb, you are sitting in for Dan Patrick. Many people will hear you coming on next. Uh, what you guys got planned? I have no idea yet. We're about, I'm about to walk <laughs> into a meeting, I guess. I, got, I, got, I mean, look, I'm, I'm fascinated by the NFL thing just in general. Um, I thought Mahomes versus Russell Wilson was amazing last night. It was really but I amazing. Do, I do think that Kansas City is a different football team. It's not just their defense. You lose the league's leading rusher from last year, who's a dynamic threat. They're not the same football team that their record and resume would tell you. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the death of the Patriots has been greatly exaggerated. They're sitting there at the, as a number two seed right now, just kind of sitting pretty like, all right. I mean, no one really fears going, no, no matter how great a home field advantage Kansas City has, uh, look at Kansas City's recent home playoff record. They haven't won a game since 93 at home in playoffs. So, so, so uh, um, you know, who comes out of the AFC is fascinating. And, look, I think the, I thought the Saints had a couple of terrible calls in that Saints game. They've been utterly unimpressive at times offensively. And I, I get that we're supposed to all shake in our boots over, you know, the dome and how loud it's going to be. Um, but, uh, look, we're getting ready for a playoffs, and it's, it's going to be wild. Um, you know, we've got to talk about the Lamar thing, like long-term that is not going to work. And there's some other reasons it's not going to work, but it's really fun and really smart in the short term. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like somehow we're going to have Patriots-Ravens because that's the way it feels like these scripts are, are written. And, uh, and, the, and the NFC, I got, I got no idea because uh, the Rams, though they were decent yesterday, seemed to have stalled out a little bit. And the Saints people have figured out. You get into the playoffs this year in the NFL, you can make the Super Bowl. You can't always say that. You can say it this year. Doug will be listening. That's Doug Gottlieb at Gottlieb Show on Twitter. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Let me bring in Alex Marvez. Alex Marvez, we have got a question up uh, on our poll question for the day. NFL MVP race, I believe it's now down to Drew Brees and Patrick Mahomes. 10,000 people have voted this morning. Happy Christmas Eve to you, by the way. Uh, And 56% of my audience is saying Drew Brees should be the MVP. Do you agree or disagree? Well, I have one of the 50 votes, and as of right now, Drew Brees is getting my vote, and I'm not sure what's going to change change that because I'm not sure if Drew is even going to play coming up Sunday now that they've got the NFC West title, now that they've got the first-round playoff seed locked up, and I think that's what separates Drew Brees from Patrick Mahomes right now is one of those things is a division. I think, two the month of December. I just think Drew's been consistent. I don't want to knock Patrick. He's done a great job. We'll let this one play out a little bit. Maybe the Chiefs end up getting that first-round bye. He's got 48 touchdown or 40, I think 49 touchdown passes right now, in fact, which, which is obviously, you know, he's not going to catch uh, Peyton Manning in 55, but it's been a tremendous season for Patrick Mahomes. I, I feel, you know, it's a weird one because it's almost like a team award, right? And I feel like the Saints, for whatever reason, maybe because they haven't been collapsing like the Kansas City Chiefs as of late, are just a better team, and maybe that that's what we give it to at that point. It's an interesting debate because Patrick last night wouldn't on him. Clay, this Kansas City team has now lost games in which they've scored 51, 40, 31, and 28 points. Think about that. So it's just a bad defensive team, which some would then say, oh, well, it makes Patrick Mahomes even more valuable and look at the ever-changing cast of characters. But I just think Drew Brees is going to end up being that guy getting this award. So you have one of 50 votes. You're going with Drew Brees. When did you make up your mind? Was it this weekend? 
it, this weekend was sort of the, the coup de gras, you know, the, the yeah, the coup de gras, I guess is the right way to put it. And I, I just thought about it in terms of Drew, what he did, you know, coming up big in such a game against the Pittsburgh Steelers the way that he did, you know, in his body of work for the season. And, again, that's not to knock Patrick Mahomes because no quarterback in NFL history has ever thrown for more touchdown passes than he did. But Bree started the season hot. They, they've now adjusted. The return of Ted Ginn Jr., by the way, to this offense is so huge because there was a stretch where Drew Brees was a game manager. They, they went four games before yesterday with less than 200 passing yards. And, again, that might be another feather in the cap of Patrick Mahomes. I, I just Maybe it's also, too, because the last thing you see sort of sticks in your mind as a voter. We often, we often don't look at what happens from week one on. We look from a shorter sample size, and we say, well, this is what separates you know, a candidate one from the other. Again, I may be swayed, but right now I'm leaning toward Drew Brees. Who is going to be in the Super Bowl? My argument is, obviously, we still have some teams to be determined. The Colts and the Titans are playing in Sunday night football uh, to as basically a play-in game uh, for the playoffs there. Uh, we still have to see whether or not the Minnesota Vikings can close it out or whether the Eagles might, might, might rise up. But if you were picking right now, what's your Super Bowl? New Orleans, New England, the same thing I had in the preseason. And, and, you know, the Texans blew it. I mean, you know, and, and look, kudos to them for coming back the way they did against the Eagles. And I understand their secondary was really beat up. Has anyone found J.J. Watt, by the way? Please return him to the Houston Texans. He is missing. Maybe he was left at the airport. But J.J. did not have a big game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Nick Foles going for 479, setting the franchise passing record. So, so you know, if the Jets take care of it, I'm sorry, the Patriots take care of the Jets, in Fox were on Sunday like we expect them to do, then they are getting one of those two first-round buys. And, you know, I figure Kansas City ends up, you know, beating Oakland at home to get into the playoffs, but I think they've lost, what, they're like 1-6 at Arrowhead Stadium in their past seven playoff games? They haven't won a home playoff game since 1993. Joe Montana was the quarterback. It's an amazing stat. Yeah, 0 6. There we go. So, yeah, I mean, so do we really trust the Chiefs? And, I mean, if it's a two game season, I'd rather put my money on the Patriots than anyone else. And if they have to leave Foxborough, well, it's a different story. You know, they're just not, a, not as good a road team as they are at home, but they've won 12 straight at Gillette Stadium. And, of course, they find a way to win. Yesterday, Clay, 273 rushing yards, the most by a Patriots team since all the way back in 2008. They did it against a really good Buffalo defense as well. Yeah, not having Josh Gordon hurts, but it's a team that at least is able to adjust to the talent that they have it's not like they completely shut down if they lose a player except for Tom Brady of course so I, I mean I just think hey the Patriots are that team now just take care of business against the Jets win two games and I think they'll re- I think we're looking at New England and New Orleans in a Super Bowl all right so uh you mentioned Nick Foles 479 passing what is going to happen at the quarterback position for the uh for the Philadelphia Eagles going forward going to be the same plan as Carson Wentz it's their long-term plan. He's still under a rookie contract, by the way. They may not renegotiate that rookie contract, but remember here, the, this gives the Eagles a window here to keep, you know, their, their window remains open for a Super Bowl when you don't have to pay your rookie quarterback. They're going to be able to re-sign players around Carson. They may be hesitant to redo him right now. You know, they're able to after the third year of his rookie contract. NFL rules allow him to renegotiate his deal, but I think when you look at the injury history now, probably get another year for Carson Wentz, and then the Eagles will come to the table and make him the highest-paid quarterback around or whatever comparable type of deal to what the top players are making. It's cost-prohibitive to try to keep Nick Foles. It just is. I think, look, Nick will get a great free agent contract. How much money is Nick Foles going to get? 
Well, I mean, listen, it, it, it depends what you, how you believe in him. If Nick Foles goes out, lays an egg next week, and becomes, you know, Nick Foles from the first two weeks of the season, Clay, then what is he, a $20, $22 million a year quarterback on the free agent market? It's about right. I mean, you figure Joe Flacco's going to be out there. Is Jameis Winston going to be out there? Are the Dolphins going to cut ties with Ryan Tannehill, who's set to make $26 million a year this season? And I'm putting these names out there because what do you consider Nick Foles? Is he a franchise quarterback that you build a team around? Is he a placeholder quarterback until you get a younger guy ready? I think that's the assessment you have for teams. I look at a team like Jacksonville, he'd be perfect there, right? A guy who's ready to win now, who's got that Super Bowl credential, who can actually make plays in the passing game and would have a tremendous team you know, supporting him in the running game with Leonard Fournette and the offensive line that they built. So to me, if you're putting odds on a, on a place where he would want to end up, I would think Jacksonville would be that place. You think – so we just mentioned a bunch of quarterbacks there in a row. Blake Bortles, obviously, it looks like will be on the market. Nick Foles, uh, maybe Ryan Tannehill, Jameis Winston. How many of those guys are actually out there uh, circulating – trying to figure out where they're going to end up. Do the Bucks stick with Jameis? Did the Dolphins stick with Tannehill? Is there any possibility of Jacksonville sticking with Bortles? Who else is out there on the market? Bortles is not going to be stuck with. I mean, yeah. the only thing is they're stuck with Bortles, I guess might be the way that they put it. But they take a $6.5 million cap hit, I believe, is what the expense would be for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, it's unfortunate for them, but they are going to be cutting some salaries. Obviously, Barry Church has already been released. You know, you look at guys like Malik, Jefferson, or Malik Jackson on the defensive line. He's a goner. They're going to continue to clear some salary cap space. They'd be able to add a quarterback. Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald writes today, basically fait accompli that Ryan Tannehill's gone because what are you paying $26 million for? When they, read, when they did this deal, they thought that Ryan Tannehill would be a difference-making type of quarterback. Instead, he is a middle-of-the-road type of quarterback. Maybe he can, you know, if he could stay healthy, he could reinvent himself somewhere else and be great. But, we, you know, look, the Dolphins have been dealing with this guy since 2012. They realize where things are at. Tampa Bay's a mystery. I mean, it really is. I mean, the Glazer family is so close to the vest. And what they do, too, is they wait. I mean, this isn't a team that makes a lot of immediate moves. When you think about the decisions they made, the bombshell to fire John Gruden and Bruce Allen a decade ago, that happened a couple weeks into the offseason. Uh, you look at the decision to replace Lovey Smith, that happened a couple weeks into the offseason because they, they were afraid they were going to lose Dirk Cutter to another head coaching job. But it took a couple weeks. They don't usually act quickly to fill their coaching positions. They take some time, they think about it, and they go from there. They're not a very good organization either. My, but the point of my, my comment here is we don't know who's coach. We don't know who's GM. We don't know how they feel about Jameis Winston. Do they want to try to salvage the kid and see? But, but play, he just doesn't have football sense sometimes. He can make some great plays, but the turnovers, I mean, this is amazing for Tampa Bay. Just real quick here. You're talking about one of the most prolific offenses that we've seen in the NFL in some time. They are in the top five all time through the first 15 weeks of a season in passing yards. They're the only one of the five teams that's not going to make the playoffs. They have the most yards in franchise history, the third highest point total in franchise history, but they're also the only team in the NFL with 20 or more interceptions, 25 collectively, the NFL's second-worst turnover differential. That's why you're 5-10. and 10. That's probably why there's a change up top. And who's part of that? Jameis Winston. So the Bucks want to stick with the guy for one year, $21 million. It's not going to cripple their salary cap, but can you do better in Tampa? I would think so. All right, last question for you. I need a quick answer here. Baker Mayfield or Saquon Barkley, who's your NFL Rookie of the Year? Uh, probably Saquon, but he's really slumped in the past couple of weeks, but that's also without Odell Beckham Jr. Baker Mayfield, what a spark. Let's see what he does against Baltimore on Sunday before I cast that ballot. And by the way, my voting ballot is not sent in until next week. Outstanding stuff as always. Merry Christmas to you, Alex Marvez. Have a good time with the family. Appreciate you waking up early with us here on Christmas Eve. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.
You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card limitations apply.